to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering Menu, Food, and Drink for both brands. Today I'm talking with Quinn Atkins, Director of Menu Development for Culver's. Culver's has grown from a regional chain of family-owned quick-service restaurants to an 800-unit brand with locations in 25 states. Loyal customers come back again and again for core items such as butter burgers, cheese curds, frozen custard, and chicken tenders, and these never come off the menu. But Quinn constantly innovates around the core menu, introducing line extensions and new ingredients and flavors. Listen as he shares Culver's longtime mission of partnering with Wisconsin's farmers and how he brings chef touches to a quick service menu. Welcome, Quinn. Thank you so much for joining me today. Pat, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Sure. So let's start by you telling me a little bit about your culinary journey and how you ended up at Culver's. Sure. So I've been with Culver's for almost six years. I started in June of 2015, and it really is kind of the culmination of my 29 years in the industry. So I started and came up through the ranks in fine dining and hotels. Mm -hmm. I am a graduate of Johnson and Wales University and their Bachelor of Culinary Arts program and started in, in hotels and that part of the industry pretty much right right out out of school and was working the entire time I was going to school. I transitioned into casual dining back in 2003 mm-hmm. after seven years of uh, working in hotels and then into menu development full time in 2006 when I went to work for TGI Fridays as their test lab executive chef. So I was the liaison between the menu innovation team and the restaurant operations. My next position was leading innovation efforts for a regional restaurant brand in Michigan, where I was uh, there for five and a half years. And interestingly in that position, the last year and a half I was there, I was also responsible for all of the purchasing and supply chain responsibilities. So really kind of helped round out my understanding of the intricacies of bringing a new concept to, to full fruition. And then the opportunity to join Culver's came about in early 2015. And I have never been so professionally and personally fulfilled. I'm very, very much an advocate and a big proponent of of this brand. And there's just a lot of alignment with how our company approaches things and my own personal menu and food philosophy. So I know that Culver's is a Midwest brand. Did you grow up in the Midwest too? So I was actually born and raised in Oklahoma. I grew up on a small family owned cattle ranch and, but have lived in the Midwest for most of my, most of my life. Uh, I've lived in seven different states 
and uh, but Wisconsin has definitely become my home, and it is my my favorite state that I've ever lived in. Cool. So what are some of Culver's core items that can never be taken off the menu? I mean, I'm familiar with the butter burgers and the cheese curds and the frozen custard. Those are all some of my favorites. But what are some that you could never take off the menu? Yeah, I really think it was interesting because um, you really have named the probably most important categories that we have on our menu. And we have a very broad and expansive menu, but the, the butter burgers and fresh frozen custard are, they're right on the sign as we like to say. So those, those are the bedrock upon which our, our brand has, has built itself. And the cheese curds is very, a very interesting example because we added those back in 1997 and they have genuinely kind of taken on a life of their own and we firmly believe that we helped introduce cheese curds to the, the country at large and they're a very distinct specific style of cheese curd. We, we serve a breaded curd versus a, uh, a battered curd. But, you know, the, the growth of that specific item has just been just eye popping. So when I started in 2015, the previous year we had, we sold about 18 million orders of cheese curds and so that was in 2014 and last year we sold uh 48 million orders wow. of cheese curds. so the growth has just been staggering and they are all sourced from one family farm here in wisconsin so it, it has, it's, it's been a joy to see how our guests respond to that item and the fact that they are very distinct and a unique style. So that kind of reinforces our signature only at Culver's approach that, that we like, we like to offer our guests. And you kind of familiarize the rest of the country with cheese curds because they used to be pretty regional to Wisconsin. When I was growing up, and it was. yes, I, I definitely agree with you. On yeah. That. So you mentioned um, sourcing from family farms. So could you talk a little bit more about your commitment to producers and family farmers and Wisconsin cheesemakers and why that's so important to Culver's mission? Yeah, uh, and, and it's it's a pleasure to, to talk about because I I really feel like this is a a deficiency in our industry at large in that Culver's recognizes and we celebrate that the lifeblood of our entire industry begins with those individual farmers, those individual ranchers, and the trade groups that facilitate the feeding of our entire nation. And we believe that actively supporting this literally essential industry by raising awareness and supporting sustainable agricultural practices should be a mission critical priority for not just our industry, the restaurant industry, but our entire nation. 
our, our supply chain priorities remain firmly aligned with our brand identity and our mission statement, which says, you know, we genuinely care so that every guest who chooses Culver's leaves happy. And our focus on the quality ingredients, our signature touches and unique presentations resonates with our guests and has engendered a level of trust and loyalty that we never take for granted. And our, our sourcing approach is always first and foremost focused on quality. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you have 800 restaurants in 25 states, that necessitates a, a certain level of capacity and production capacity. So we, we lean on the trade groups like the dairy farmers of Wisconsin that can help us aggregate our needs with the individual suppliers in a specific geographic area. Mm -hmm. So we, we receive contact from you know, small producers and up and coming producers on a regular basis. And unfortunately, we're just at a size and scope where we have to prioritize that continuity of our supply chain versus trying to piecemeal a, uh, a solution from across the country. Mm. Well, it's kind of unusual for a quick service brand to have that strong commitment to farmers. And you are one of the first. I know there are a couple of others that are doing it now, but it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it was part of our DNA. And, and I, I mean that almost literally. So Craig Culver, one of our co-founders, his father worked in the agricultural supply industry before he became a restaurateur. Mm -hmm. And growing up in you know a small Wisconsin town kind of reinforced the importance of the role that agriculture and those individual farmers and individual dairy suppliers played in the overall success and health of not just the Wisconsin industry, but how that played out across the country. So tell me a little bit about the Thank You Farmers project that you initiated or Culver's initiated. Yeah, yeah, happy to. It's, you know, we care about where our food comes from and we recognize that the quality of the food that we serve our guests is directly correlated with the care the, the farmers and the ranchers put into, into cultivating it. And that, that relationship, that symbiotic relationship is of utmost importance to, to our brand. So the Thank You Farmers Project is an initiative that recognizes all of the farmers and ranchers for their hard work and dedication. And we support agricultural education programs like the FFA as we understand the critical importance of continuing to feed our growing population, as well as supporting those next generation of farmers and ranchers that will continue, continue this for, you know, for the next hundred years. Mm -hmm. So since 2013, 
our guests, which is when we launched the Thank You Farmers Project. Um, since 2013, our guests have helped us donate more than $3 million to support those future leaders in agriculture. Very impressive, wow. So since you've come to Culver's in 2015, how did you expand the core menu? What have you added um, to round out the butter burgers and the cheese curds? Yeah, um, so because of the breadth and depth of our, of our core menu, it is a really big deal to add to that. Mm. And in the six years, uh, almost six years that I've been leading our innovation efforts, we've added one sandwich, two sauces and dressing. So one sauce, one dressing, and one side item. Wow. In addition to 12 new custard flavors. And that doesn't sound like an awful lot, but given that it had been 10 years previously, since the last time that we added a permanent menu item, uh, it's, it's actually, we're doing pretty, pretty well from a historic perspective. And the logic behind that careful placement is that every item has to prove their merits and quantifiable and demonstrable benefits to our system before they earn a place on our permanent menu. So that means in terms of the, the sandwich, which was a spicy crispy chicken sandwich that my team developed, we had to prove over multiple promotion campaigns that this truly was an incremental sales opportunity and that it was not simply eroding sales from other categories or other menu items, that it, it filled a void that nothing else that we had would, uh, would meet that need. Mm -hmm. So it, it is uh, certainly a point of pride that we've added the number of core menu items that we have in a relatively short period of time for us anyway. And it's never, it's never an intent to set out because we're very conscientious of how adding a new item, how it impacts our restaurant operations and our, our restaurant teams. But we also very much listen to our operators and our guests and when they tell us loud and clear, this is something that we believe should be available all the time. And we can back that up with quantifiable data and metrics, then you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and, and make that, uh, that momentous step. Mm -hmm. But the menu is a lot uh, more extensive than you know, someone from the outside would think because you have you do have a lot of chicken items. You have soups. You have um, chili. I noticed salads, entree salads, uh, mm -hmm. center of plate options that really were inspired by Craig Culver and his family's background as uh, restaurateurs. They they owned and operated a supper club here in Wisconsin for many years. And 
a lot of the options that we have for our guests are examples of those kind of home style comfort foods that you would find in a Wisconsin supper club. So things like, you know, beef pot roast and chopped steak and uh, our seafood items are very, very popular and are of a quality that, you know, I would put our uh, cod sandwich and cod dinner and our shrimp offerings that, that we have against any any restaurant in the country. It's it, it is a point of pride that we we believe that we have something for everyone that they're going to be able to find and that there's um, not really a whole lot of veto votes that uh, you're going to encounter when suggesting that a family come to Culver's for, yeah. for a meal. It sounds more like a casual dining menu than a quick service menu. I was very intrigued as I was, um, you know, considering coming on board and the, the operations and the complexity and the systems that are in place to execute a menu of that size and scope are super, super impressive. Mm. So describe um, the R&D process behind a recent LTO, the Harvest Veggie Burger, because I find that really a different kind of plant forward burger than some of the others that are coming on menus. Yeah, that's, uh, and, and, and it's certainly very indicative of our approach and how we kind of um, do things a little differently from an, an innovation perspective. So we were working on that product for quite some time. We really, we started uh, about four years before we launched, we finally launched it system-wide last fall. And it, it came from the, the genesis of an idea where we had some of our restaurants, not all of them, had this optional veggie burger that they were they were serving. It wasn't on the menu boards. It really wasn't supported, but some of our restaurant operators had requested to carry it because they were getting those requests from their guests. And so I started with a question to say, well, if it's something that we're going to serve, it needs to be something that we're proud of and that supports our commitment to to quality and wholesomeness and so we really started working on a traditional our our version of a traditional veggie burger the year before the meat analogs kind of exploded onto the scene and there were certainly discussions and gut checks along the way on if we wanted to pivot or change course. And the reason that we chose to stay the course that we had started is we felt that our approach reinforced our brand identity. It leveraged the relationships that we have with the, the dairy industry mm -hmm. and almost, almost as importantly is 
we saw very quickly any number of restaurant brands that were kind of jumping on this ingredient bandwagon and all offering the exact same product. And we, we like to focus on signature and unique experiences. Mm -hmm. We call them you know, only at Culver's experiences. And we really didn't want to offer the same product that our guests could get at any number of our competitors. So there was also a clear understanding from my perspective that the strategy around those those analogs, there was, there was a secondary end goal in mind, and that was to utilize the momentum and the revenue streams from the restaurant industry to get them to retail. Mm. And so it further dilutes that signature experience when the guest can get that exact same product at their local grocery store. Mm. So we, we recognized that there was an opportunity cost there because our Harvest Veggie Burger is not vegan. And we recognized that, you know, there would be some, some pushback from that and there certainly has been, but the vast majority of our, of our guests have really enjoyed the, the Harvest Veggie Burger. And it, it just kind of neatly encapsulates our, our approach to we're going to do things that make sense for our brand. So the, the veggie burger is vegetarian rather than vegan. It has. Correct. So it, it's really more of a traditional uh, veggie burger. And, and what's interesting is the optional legacy item that some of our restaurants were serving also had dairy in it. And mm. I think it's, it's interesting that maybe many of our guests didn't realize that. But one of the things I, I love about our brand is we are very transparent in our the, the products that we serve. So on our website, not only do we have the nutritional information and the allergen disclosures, but we actually have full ingredient decks for every single item that we serve. And we make that available uh, to our guests uh, on a constant uh, rolling basis. Mm. Terrific, wow. So you use a lot of, uh, you might not introduce a lot of new items, but you do introduce new toppings and condiments for your burgers and for some of the other dishes on your menu. So what are some of the toppings that you've created that have gone over big? So probably at the very top of that list is the Wisconsin cheddar cheese sauce that we introduced at the end of 2016, 2016, 2017. Mm. Um, and again, it started with a question of if we're going to offer a cheese sauce, it needs to be the best cheese sauce that we can possibly provide. And I challenged our, our supplier partners and worked with them very closely 
over well over a year to get the flavor profile and the ingredient deck that made sense for us. And we challenged the supposition that a commercial cheese sauce has to be loaded with artificial flavors, artificial colors, artificial stabilizers and emulsifiers mm. and brought it much back closer to the classical French cuisine, uh, traditional Mornay sauce. Mm. So we start with real aged Wisconsin cheddar. So the primary cheese in, in our sauce is a year old Wisconsin cheddar. Mm-hmm. and it is thickened with real roux and there are no stabilizers, no emulsifiers, no artificial colors, no artificial flavors and just we're just one step away from being able to say all natural but cheddar cheese has a uh, preservative in mm-hmm. it already but it really did change the narrative as to what a cheese sauce can be. And we uh, were proud to have been part of that, that conversation. And it, um, I was confident that it would do well, but it has kind of taken on a life of its own and um, has been very, very successful for our restaurants. Do consumers order it mostly on burgers or do they order it on other items as well? I would say it is primarily used as a dipping, a a premium dipping sauce for our French fries, onion rings, cheese curds. Mm. We've certainly incorporated it into additional cross utilization opportunities for you know, a sandwich condiment. Mm. And um, it's also a key side component of the newest core menu item, which is our crispy pretzel bites that mm. were just added this spring as a, as a core menu item. So we are we, we recognize its versatility and the cross utilization opportunities are myriad, but it, it's a great example of, I knew that if we, if we created the right product, then it would lend itself to multiple uses and it just kind of reinforces our our brand identity, one, to dairy, but also just that that approach of we believe and we know that quality matters. And even if our guests can't necessarily articulate what makes it better, they recognize quality when they see it and when they taste it. And, mm-hmm. and that really is a, a critical part of the Culver's the Culver's experience. Talking about condiments, um, I you know there's a lot of news this week about the ketchup shortage. Have you noticed anything at Culver's with that going on? So we have a a world class supply chain management team that I'm 
proud to work very closely alongside every single day. And my own personal background in the supply chain management arena allows me to understand better than most the, the challenges that they have had to overcome certainly over the last you know 12 to 14 months and we deal kind of with those micro crises every single day and mm-hmm. we're um, we're savvy enough to recognize the pitfalls and be able to kind of counteract them before it becomes an issue for for our restaurants mm-hmm. so we Proactivity and awareness is definitely the name of the game. And one of the things that I was super happy and proud to realize shortly after I came on board is our approach to our suppliers is very different than many other brands out there. And that we recognize that in order for a relationship to be successful, there has to be benefit to both parties. And we like to say that it's really difficult to earn a seat at the table as a Culver's supplier. But once you have that seat, you've got to work pretty hard to lose it. Mm. And the, the trust and kind of common goodwill that we engender and have carefully cultivated over our nearly 40 years in business really serves us well because we we see a willingness from our supplier network to give us additional consideration and maybe a little more heads up and a little more um, just overall consideration when these types of uh, supply chain challenges arise. Mm-hmm. So I guess you knew about this a little ahead of the news. <laughs> so ketchup is pretty important to <laughs> our our business, and it is something that we we track very very closely. Cool. So after takeout and delivery serves in the last year, does travel time and packaging figure more into your menu? Have you changed up the packaging in any way? So obviously we recognize that the importance of maintaining quality and the integrity of our our menu offerings for our off-premise guests. And it has always factored into our, our mm-hmm. development and innovation efforts. Certainly the, the last year with that fundamental shift to off-premise dining has, has had an impact on us. And while we haven't had to change anything fundamental about our, our menu items, there were certainly opportunities where we were working on concepts that probably lent themselves more to on-premise and in, in-person dining mm-hmm. versus being you know off-premise and and carry out friendly and so those we kind of just hit pause on 
to say, you know, at some point we may come back to it, but it doesn't make sense right now. Mm -hmm. And then from the packaging perspective, just like everyone else in the industry, um, it's something that we're carefully monitoring and working with our packaging vendors to figure out better ways to more closely match the in restaurant dining experience. And that's the ultimate goal that we're all, all chasing. And we recognize that there's a little bit of grace that our guests will offer us because it is sometimes, you know, traveling 10 or 15 minutes before they can, they can enjoy it. But we're keenly aware that, you know, every instance of, you know, soggy fries or lukewarm butter burger is a missed opportunity. And we were constantly evaluating a better way to, to deliver on that promise. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to continue to be an area of intense scrutiny and innovation from the industry at large. And we're certainly no exception. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, a lot of people were sidelined for the last year, um, were you able to go anywhere for inspiration for some of your menu development ideas? I mean, I, not, I know you couldn't go to a lot of restaurants or travel a lot, but how do you um, find inspiration for some of the flavors and ingredients that you incorporate? Yeah, I, I think that our team's approach to innovation served us well, even over the last year. And, and our approach has always been fairly eclectic and, and wide ranging. So obviously, first and foremost, we have to understand what makes sense for our brand and our restaurant operators and their team and ensure that any concept fits with kind of within that sandbox, right? And as well as our operational footprint. So we have very specific cooking platforms and that lend themselves well to certain items and absolutely preclude other types of items. So my team we're all voracious readers and we closely monitor industry trade industry trades and as i mentioned earlier our competitive set awareness mm -hmm. but my favorite part of the innovation research is you know just staying closely aligned and aware of what's going on in the industry at large and and mm -hmm. and that's through multiple sources uh, collaborating with my peers and colleagues throughout the industry and throughout the year, um, historically, that has been a lot of culinary immersions and trade conferences and professional trade organizations, as well as you know exploring what's new at those local, regional, and national restaurant scenes. Mm -hmm. The past year, that became much more focused in a virtual manner and you know that that new normal where you're collaborating 
via Zoom or Microsoft Teams. It, but it, it really didn't change the outcome, which is we recognize that we were all in this crazy environment together mm -hmm. and we were there to support and encourage and ideate off of one another. And even though there wasn't a lot of active innovation going on at the restaurant level, we all recognized that this was eventually going to come to an end and we needed to be prepared and ready to implement those new items that, that would make sense kind of in this new hybrid environment. Mm -hmm. So it, it definitely was different, but we, we were not idle. And not only were we supporting our, our restaurants and our operators and our restaurant teams in whatever way possible, but we also recognized that the old industry axiom that if you're not innovating, you're stagnating, mm -hmm. uh, certainly continued to be just as true throughout 2020. Do you have anything coming out this summer that you were working on, even like a new frozen custard flavor? Or yeah, we're launching we're launching two new flavors of the day this year, mm -hmm. and we're also we have multiple. Uh, market tests going on, and that certainly continuing into the 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 spring and mm -hmm. or sorry the fall and the winter this year, and then into 2022, uh, and a lot of things that were kind of on deck for 2020 just kind of got paused and then transitioned mm -hmm. over over to 2021. But as I mentioned earlier, some of those were kind of long-term put on hiatus until we have a better understanding of how our guests are going to choose to enjoy and engage with our, with our brand, even as we come out of the, you know, the critical social distancing and, and pandemic mandated off-premise shift. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what our approach really hasn't changed all that much and that we recognize, you know, we have a, a mandate for, from our guests to offer fresh, unique, high quality menu options for them. And even more so last year where people were just they were very, very involved and invested in finding that sense of normalcy and that sense of familiarity in the face of all of the chaos and all of the uncertainty. And our restaurants were there for their, their communities and their guests. And we had so many restaurants setting sales records in the face of all of the, the shutdowns and all of the, the dining room closures. And it was an inspiration that still gives me goosebumps when I think about it, how creative and how dedicated our, 
our restaurant operators were in finding ways to meet that unprecedented demand through what at the time was just that single lane drive through and carry out. I'm curious about what the two flavors are that are coming out this summer. I want to look for them. So the first one will be launching in June and that is uh, it's called salted caramel pecan pie. Mm. It is our vanilla fresh frozen custard with a ribbon of salted caramel, roasted pecans, and a new butter cake piece mm. that kind of plays the role of, of the pie crust. And we had tested this product extensively and actually offered it, uh, introduced it to our, our restaurant teams at our national conference a couple of years ago. And it, it did very, very well. We were supposed to roll this flavor out last year and that, that got paused. So, but bringing that new ingredient in as a, uh, a permanent offering. So it'll be on the dessert panel as well as an option for our guests to customize their concrete mixers or their sundaes. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, I'm super proud of it. So one of the places that I've, I lived in my life is St. Louis and I lived there for uh, over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And the gooey butter cake, which is a regional specialty of Missouri in the St. Louis area, um, became a, a personal favorite. And those are the types of opportunities that I look for when bringing new ingredients to the table. So we, we specialize and are known for our butter burgers. Totally makes sense that we would serve a butter cake. Mm, sure. Sounds yummy. It, it really, it really, really is. And the, the second flavor is, um, it's actually doesn't have any new ingredients, but it's a, um, it's called the strawberry chocolate parfait. So again, our vanilla fresh frozen custard, our just delightfully decadent chocolate cake pieces incorporated with our fresh strawberry strawberry topping, which has two ingredients. It has strawberries and sugar, which is all, which is all a, a strawberry sauce and strawberry topping needs. So no artificial colors, no preservatives. It's, it's, it's pretty delightful. So a classic combination of flavors. They work very, very well together. And this one was uh, a personal favorite of many of our menu strategy folks when we first introduced it. Well, I can't wait to try them. So as we move into summer and fall, what are you most looking forward to both personally and professionally as you can travel more often or you know, maybe even go to a trade show or two? Yes, so on the professional side, um, you may not know, but we recently had our new CEO start mm -hmm. uh, just in the last couple of weeks and I'm very excited about you know getting to know him better and working with him and you know uh, 
aligning our visions on how we continue to grow and support what I believe is truly the greatest brand in the industry. You know, we've emerged from the pandemic aligned as a organization and even more motivated than we've ever been before, singularly focused on supporting our restaurants and continuing our commitment to our guests and to provide those best in class menu options with a level of hospitality that honestly just never fails to impress me. 2021 is going to be our best year yet. I, I truly believe that. Okay. On the personal side, I'm you, you, you touched on it. I'm very much looking forward to reconnecting in person with my, my friends and colleagues, uh, hashtag my tribe, as I like to call them, and start traveling again and, and emerging from this even more energized and keenly aware of how interconnected our, our industry is and how important those relationships proved to be in sustaining all of us both emotionally and psychologically and professionally and personally and shaking some hands and and hugging some shoulders with some of the, the people that I just adore. Thank you, Quinn. Wish I could run out for a butter burger and a frozen custard right now. Please join us for the next Menu Feed podcast as we explore more menu trends with chefs and operators. You can find past episodes on Spotify.